All right, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. We, uh, we finally got out of the book of Exodus. Last week was our last one. Um, and I made, I made a mention that you might have, that you might have picked, on and picked up on, and maybe you didn't quite. But one of, the, one of the theories behind why we have four gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're new, there's four, and there's nothing wrong with being new, because I remember being a, a freshman in high school reading the Bible, and I started with the New Testament, and I, I started reading Matthew, and then, of course, I went on to Mark, and by the time I got to Luke, I kept thinking, haven't I read this somewhere before? And no one told me. You know, there were four different versions of the life of Christ in the New Testament. So there's nothing wrong with being new. But uh, you're never really told why. And so people have always had different theories and ideas. And if you go to Bible school, they get way into that, you know. And, um, but recently, uh, more recently, um, something I never heard of as a theory in Bible school or anything was that, that the, the Gospel of Matthew was written because the, the early church, you have to remember, was all, they were Jewish. So you don't, don't think of people gathering like on Sunday in a church with a cross on it or anything. Just think of people gathering in a synagogue who happen to also believe in Jesus. And so what happened is they would read through their scriptures. They would read through what we call the Old Testament. That was part of what they did. Every year you would read through it in like a liturgy. Anybody grow up Catholic? Do you know what I'm talking about? You go through it, right? You go through it. So that has its roots in, in early you know, Jewish history where they would read through their scriptures. And so you'd sit in synagogue and they'd read the story of Moses and they'd read the, the, uh, the, the giving of the law, Mount Sinai, and you'd go through it every year. Well, then when people started to follow Christ, they wanted some readings to match. And so this... Perhaps, not proven, but it, it's, I'll tell you this, it's made more sense to Chris than anything else I've ever read. I'll just say it that way. This, this has made more sense to me than anything else I've read, is that these were written so that if you sat in that early, early, early church, which was, again, mostly Jewish, they would have a time where they read the Old Testament, and then they had a time where they read Jesus' sort of commentary on it. And that's why when you read in Matthew, there's, he's being painted as this new Moses. Over and over and over again, you'll see Jesus being painted as the new Moses. And the Sermon on the Mount is tied directly to Mount Sinai. Okay, just a boring introduction. Let's get into it. It doesn't, doesn't hurt to have a little background now and then. Do you ever have head scratchers when you're reading the Bible? If you didn't say, yeah, you've never read it, that's a guarantee. Because if you said, no, no, it made all perfect sense to me, you're lying, and you haven't read it. So you read it, and you have questions, you know, and so we do our best. But because that made a lot of sense to me, you see this theme in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, now juxtapose it next to Mount Sinai, which we did for six months. Now it's a little more in us. Is the law a little more in you, like from Mount Sinai? Is it a little? Please say yes, because I spent six months. 
It's a little more in you. I got, yeah, I got a more sense of it. And now you have that. So you have, if someone reading, it would be a portion of the service where someone would read. Um, you would get up. You would, it would be your turn. And you would get up to scroll. We, we should do that again. I know people would be terrified, but it would be your turn. You come up here and you would get the scroll out and you would read a section. And then they would have, they said, well, we need a section that would read about Jesus. And so this would be the parallel to it, which is why it feels like if you now read it a second time, it feels like an interpretation of the law. Now it makes sense that phrases like this are in there. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you this. Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, right? But I say to you, okay? So Matthew 5, 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, ready? And what? Hate your enemy. So eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, that is, that is in the law. Love your enemy. That also is in the law. It's in Leviticus. Hate your enemy, however, is what? Not in there. But if something gets said enough times, after a while you start to what? Believe it. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Somewhere along the line, they sort of, uh, they sort of assumed, well, we can, love, we can learn to love the guy next door, but we really can't love those people. You can fill in the blank for whatever those people are. We can't love those people. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. You've heard it said. And so by the time Jesus comes to speak and to teach, it was commonly accepted that that was what God wanted. It was commonly accepted that that's what God wanted. He wanted you to love your neighbor, but he wanted you to hate your enemy. That's what good Jewish people did. However, that was never, you cannot find, hate your enemy in the Bible. I can tell you, as a pastor, a lot, a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, is this in the Bible? And they'll say something really crazy. And I'll go, no. And they'll say, well, I always thought it was. And I'm like, I, that doesn't matter. Or I understand. But it, it doesn't change the fact that it's not there. But sometimes when things get repeated enough over and over and over and over again that people then just start to accept it. Yes, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Seems fair. Seems legit. And so Jesus is not only addressing the stuff that was written, but he was addressing how it was interpreted and he's reinterpreting. In other words, has anybody ever given you like a bad slant on church? a bad slant on the Bible, a bad slant on religion, the wrong take, and it was just repeated and everyone accepted it. And you, you scratch your head and you go, that doesn't seem right to me. Hatred doesn't seem right. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But, and this is how it goes throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, but, verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies. 
love, let's say it together, ready? One, two, three. Love your enemies. Some of you can't say it out loud. The hardest three words in the Bible, in my opinion. I think, A, we didn't know it was in there. We just didn't know it was in there. I I never knew that. I never knew we were supposed to love our enemies. Okay. Now you can't say that anymore. Right? I didn't know it was in there. Love. One more time. It's hard to say. It's easier to say God loves me. Okay? But let's try it. It says love your enemies. Ready? One, two, three. Love your enemies. I think it's the hardest thing in Scripture. I think, this is what I think personally, I think it's the pinnacle of what it means to follow Christ. I'll also tell you, I don't think I'm there. But I'm not changing the mountaintop because I'm still learning to climb. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't bring, like, if, if this is Mount Everest, you don't bring the flags down to you to say you conquered it. You keep it up there. This is the pinnacle. I think what happens is we think it's too difficult, so we dismiss it. I, I think this happens a lot. We think it's, it's not possible. It really isn't possible to love someone that I hate or dislike strongly. We think it's not possible. And so we just, we, we just, we just try to read that part of the Bible fast. But I'm here to tell you, I really do think it's the pinnacle of what it means to follow Christ. And I'll tell you another thing is I thought, I, I thought about it a lot this week. I, I'm getting reflective or something. It, it might be because of kids camp. It might be because of the way I'm watching Charlie grasp the Bible, grasp the Bible story. She comes up every day, tell me a new Bible story, singing a new song about God. It's sacred and scary to me. Maybe you just like, I don't know, just send them to church or don't send them. The whole thing is scary sacred to me. Literally like starting to imprint in that little mind the conception of God. And I, so I'm reflective this week for maybe a number of reasons, but this is what I, this is what I think. I, I think, you know, I've been pastoring for this church for over 23 years Ten more years, I mean, I think I'm just starting to understand what Jesus wants from me now. I think I went to four years of Bible school, been pastoring for over 33 years, and I think I'm just starting to understand what Christianity is. Not that I'm doing it, but I think I'm just starting to understand what it is. We're supposed to love our enemies. And I think 
first of all, we don't think it's possible, so we dismiss it. The second thing I think is we don't think it's desirable, so we avoid it. Who avoids things that you don't think are desirable? Huh? How's the construction out there? Can anybody say 96? Just avoid it. I'm not, go- I'm not going there. The other day we had to go, I did a wedding a couple nights ago. I was in Celine and it was a great wedding and it was great. But I mean, I got in the car, did the GPS because I know there's construction everywhere and you just decide to, decide to trust it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I, went, I literally got out of my house and I turned right and it said, three minutes later, I go turn left. Turn around. And then I turned around and went back the other way and Vicky will testify, we did at least three U-turns. Why? Because the construction kept say, changing, changing. We avoid what we don't like. And we don't like the idea of loving our enemies. Because they're our enemies. Why would I want to do that? Why? What if I had a class? How to love your enemy. Wouldn't that sell out in a hurry? Huh? No, it it won't. I can tell you. I've done different kinds of classes for 20 years. I have to learn how to market them to you so you'll actually come. But, But we don't sign up for things about, hey, here's a class on how to love your enemy. Because we assume it's better to not love them. Now, let's be brutally honest for one minute. Why not be honest for a minute in church? Do you have any enemies, people that you don't like? I'm not looking, just God. Okay, so we have a starting point. And I think the, I think that the need is to, is, to, is to stop saying it's impossible. Now, I don't think we're ever going to do anything this perfectly. Um, but... It's the only way we're going to change the world. Say, no, no, I got my own plan, Chris. I, I really been thinking about it. I really respect what you say about Jesus and his plan. That's nice and all, but I got my own plan. And I'm here to tell you the only way that we're going to change the world is we have to change ourselves. Anybody ever try to change someone else? Isn't that fun? Who here has ever tried to change your spouse? Now, that's a good afternoon, isn't it? What you need to be doing, how you should look at it, what you should be thinking. Don't they just gobble it up? Oh, thank you, dear. Is there more? Could you, could you elaborate more on my weaknesses? Because I'm, I want to, I want to take notes. Anybody ever try to change somebody? This doesn't go well, does it? They got to change what? I mean, let's call it what it is. Fixing the world is about getting people to change. And the only, only, only person that can change, you can change on this planet, is sitting in your seat. That's it. You can influence. You can model, and that can inspire change. Which I think very much what Jesus was getting at when he said... You are the light of the world. But there again, 
changing the other person is really about changing you because you change and you model it and then they, they get enticed by it and they go, look at the way that person lives their life. I, I kind of want to do that. So we have to not worry about the fact that it doesn't seem possible and we got to push through the fact that it doesn't seem desirable. Um, there's a lot of foods that Charlie will not eat. And we don't, I, on a, like, I, I, give it a minute. We're just like, give it a try. It just comes out of the oven or it just comes. No, I don't want it. I don't like it. You don't even know what it is. I don't like it. It, it, like, it doesn't have sprinkles on it. You know, like, they have some little thing and, and they can smell and they can tell. They can tell right away. It's like there's no sprinkles, no sparkles. and it, it, Nope. I mean, if I brought green gummy worms out and I brought green spinach out, somehow they know right away, that's me, that's me. This is not me. But through the process, you know, as you're trying to introduce them to things that don't look desirable, they actually do like some things that they didn't know they were going to like. And then it's like, but you got to try it first. You got to try it. And this is big. We got to try loving our enemies. I don't think I'm getting through because I, I think we're still thick, but no, I don't really want to, so why would I do that? Then you have to believe, you have to believe at your core that there's something in it for you. That somehow you are going to be better. And I have to believe that that's true because everything that I believe about Jesus and what he teaches about life and how to live it is that it's always better for you. Not better in the shallow sense of better. Better in the deeper sense. The much richer sense that you are going to be a more fulfilled person because you are going to be connected to the other person. You see, in our society, in the modern world, most people, vast majority, vast majority, not everybody, unfortunately, but the vast majority, no longer think it is correct to look at another person and see what the tone of their skin is and to like them or dislike them, to hate them or to think they should have a different job. Or to, it's just a non-starter. We don't care what kind of skin God put on you. Amen. The other day, Charlie, you know, it came up, as it does with kids, you know, Dad, how come, I, I forget the exact phrasing, but I think it was something to the effect of, God, Dad, how come God gave some people black skin and yellow skin, what did she call it? Yellow, and she had kind of different colors than I had heard, which is kind of cool because it was coming right from her, not from something she had heard, you know, and she had all these terms, and I, I, I go, <laughs> Vicky and I were driving, you know, she's in the back, and we went, I, you take that. I said, you take that one. <laughs> and she's, well, <laughs> you know, and you, you may have good ones and you send them in because I will, you, you know, you want to paint the right good picture, right? And, she, like, and, uh, and, I, and I thought about it. I'm like, oh, she, she loves sparkles and rainbows. Like anything that's rainbows and sparkles, like, yes. I mean, it used to be pink. She always wanted a pink dress. Now she just wants ra rainbows. And I'm like, you know how you love rainbows? I said, God made the first rainbow. 
And I think God loves the rainbow of colors when he looks at all the people that he made. I think it makes him happy the way it makes you happy to wear a rainbow dress. It bought me, hey. It bought me a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Take it. So we know. Sometimes we, like in church, people say amen, but I want you to say no, duh. Because I think this is like, so we don't think you should judge someone by the, by the, the wrapping that God put on. Can I get a no, duh? duh? No, duh. We've crossed that river. Thank God. Amen. We got some stragglers. We're bringing them along. Please say no duh again with a little more conviction. One, two, three. I'll make sure I'm in the right church. But it seems like now we feel like I can hate someone. I can't hate you for that. I shouldn't. That'd be stupid. I'd just be a moron if I hate you for your skin color because, like, you didn't choose it, number one. But now it seems fashionable that I can hate you. I can hate you for what you believe. That I can do. That seems fashionable and fair game in our society. I can hate you for what you believe. I wonder if that comes from Jesus. I don't think so. It's everywhere. Well, Chris, I, got, I know what you're going to say. Uh, let me read the email you're about to write to me that you're working out in your head right now. Well, Chris, you know, people choose what they believe. I'm saving you some time. People choose what they believe. Kind of. How often is a person's belief connected, ask yourself this question, how often is a person's belief connected to their background? How often? Never? I don't think never. You haven't been around. Most of the time. I was taught this. I was raised like this. I was shown this done this. That's why certain people that live in certain countries, they dress completely different than us. And they worship completely different than And they have whole different, different ideas. Of, why? Because they just have a different background. And now, did I say you can't change and evolve your beliefs as you grow and mature? No, I didn't say that because I think you can. But I do believe that all of us, including you, Mr. Wright, let go of our beliefs slowly. We need them because they, they, hold, they hold us together. There's nothing wrong with having strong beliefs. That's what holds you together. You have to believe in something. And then what happens is life hits you. Has anyone here ever changed your belief about anything ever? Three of you. <laughs> Come on. I want to see it. No, I want you to put it up or, or get out. No, put it up. No, just, 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 I want to know because I want to make a point, and that is the point is that everybody should have their hand up because everybody's changed their belief about something because you grew. 
because something confronted the way you saw reality, and it was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I, I, I kind of thought I knew everything at 24. <laughs> Isn't 24 the worst? Sorry if you're 24, but I mean 24 is the worst because you come out of your teens and you're like, I was such an idiot then, but my God, I'm 24. I freaking know everything. Huh? No, you do, and then you're like, man. Then you're like 44, and you're like, I pretty much knew nothing when I was 24. But it was a good time. You just keep growing. But if your beliefs, they're tied to your background. And you didn't choose your background then why are you hating people for what they believe? Just give them some time. We know you're right. That's a given. How many know that's a given? That they're wrong. I thought this message was going to go better in my head. I saw it going a little better than it is. But you're right, of course, but they'll come to your side. But anybody... I want you to think of a person... I want you to think of them like an onion. And there's that layer that we all universally agreed. You don't judge people by the outer thing. That's what morons do. We don't do that. But the culture has just shifted to judging at one different level. But I can judge them by their beliefs. I should. They're the, they're the problem. And Jesus, Jesus could love somebody because he could see their soul. I'll tell you one thing about that little four-year-old that was up here. I cannot not love her. I can't do it. I can't not love her. Regardless, I don't know what kind of belief she's gonna have. I don't know what kind of behavior she's going to have. The problem is we won't look long enough into somebody's eyes until we see their soul. I, I got to cut this message off, but um, do you remember Jesus dying on the cross saying this, Father, forgive them. Now, did Jesus do this because he felt like, well, I should because I'm Jesus and love your enemies? Or did he believe that it erupt from his insides? The next phrase is important. Father, forgive them for they, they don't know what they're doing. I can see their soul. Their soul is good. Their behavior is bad. Their beliefs are bad. Everything else is screwed up, but I can see their soul. I can see it. The only way we do this, I'll give you a one-sentence class on how to love your enemy. See their soul. You got to go past five layers, six layers, however many layers it takes. And when you see their soul, then you can love them. Love your enemies. It's work for all of us, myself included. Student number one, Student one, 
Or as the Apostle Paul said, chief of sinners, let's stand for a closing prayer. You can do it, church. Here's what I want to tell you. Everybody look at me before we pray. Look at me. Stay in school. School of Jesus. You're not done learning. Don't sit here and come and go and gripe and blah, blah. I'll send you an email address for a new church. Stay in school. I'm in school, Jesus. I want to learn how you did it. That's our prayer today. That's what we're going to do. Who's in? I'm in school. School of Jesus. I want to learn how to, I want to do it the way you taught. I want to live the way you let. I don't think there's a better life. I don't, I'm not saying it's the easiest. Like on the, if you're looking for shallow, don't, don't sign up for the shallow. Dear, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. who took the greatest challenges, showed us how to climb the mountain. I think honestly, we're all a little bit even afraid of that idea, that we, we're afraid that we can't do it. We're afraid that we won't love it, but God give us the courage to start with the smallest step on a journey to learning to love our enemies. We just open our heart to it. God, we commit to staying in school, staying students of Christ, of your words, of your ways, so we can become the people you've called us to be. In Christ's name we pray. And we give thanks. Amen.